A disciple is a follower of Christ. A learner who follows Jesus. And Jesus Himself said, if anyone wants to come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after Me. Disciples, in order to follow Jesus. In order to follow Jesus, there are a number of things that we must do. And I want to talk today about three of the requirements of being a disciple and also some of the fruits of being a disciple. But where does discipleship begin? Discipleship begins in the home. Discipleship begins in family life. And if families would just follow Jesus Christ, it would, it would cure all the problems in our culture today. All the problems in our culture today goes back to the breakdown of family and to the breakdown of fatherhood and motherhood in the home. I saw a photo of Grandma on Facebook. Grandma sitting in a rocking Facebook. Grandma sitting in a rocking chair and she's holding a double barrel shotgun. And she's saying, the problem is not guns. The problem is hearts without God and homes without discipline. Absolutely true. So in the remaining part of our time, I want to talk about, first of all, what does it take to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, first of all, we must abide in Christ. He states that himself. You are the disciples indeed if you abide in me. If you abide in me. And abiding in Christ is having a personal relationship with Christ. And that's what's needed in our church families, and that's what is needed among mom, dad, and the kids. We need Christ. And the nourishment and the guidance and the transformation. That comes only from Him. We know how Jesus Christ can change an individual's life, don't we? In Galatians 4 and verse 6, in Galatians 4 and verse 6, Paul said, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We need the life-giving and fruit-bearing Spirit of Jesus. And that's what she begins. Because that's what enables us to bear fruit. You remember that Jesus said in John 15, 4, that unless you abide in me, you can bear no fruit. Or just as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, so you can abide in the vine, so you can all bear fruit unless you abide in me. Without me, you can do nothing. And then he said, In this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. Not anybody comes from God one way or the other. Because any good is in this world. Any good is in this world because of the influence of God and the presence of God in this world. 
And that goes for both the Christian and the non-Christian, the believer and the unbeliever. I mean, we see good in the lives of people who don't know Christ. Where did they learn the goodness? Where do they eat the fruit when they love other people and treat other people well, one way or the other? And therefore, we need to do away with all of the plagiarism and give God the glory. We were created to bear fruit and to fill the earth with God's glory. Genesis 1.26 <coughs> Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And God said, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply and fill the earth with my glory. So that's possible only for you and for me if we abide in Jesus. But we must also belong in the church which belongs to Christ. The church is made up of people who are called by God and who belong to God. And the thing that I want to emphasize about abiding, abiding in the church is that God abiding in the church is that God does not grow us in isolation. He does not grow us in isolation. Think of all of the covenants that God made with the nation of Israel. Think of the nation of Israel. Think about the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. Think about the covenant God made with Israel on the day of Pentecost, into which you and I are invited to share and participate and be blessed by. What did God have in mind? It's God who initiates covenants. And why did he do so? Because he had family in mind. God loves family. And we are his agents to bring light to the nations in the church and in our immediate families. Fulfilling that command requires fellowship. The fellowship that's so important in discipleship. It's stated of the early church that all who believed were together and had of the early church that all who believed were together and had all things common. Acts 2.44. We need to spend time together. Brothers and sisters in the church need to spend time together. Fathers and mothers and sons and daughters need to spend quality time together. The world is too strong. And the world is too strong for us to make without each other. We need each other's support. And therefore, we need to abide in Christ, abide in the church which belongs to Christ. And then, and then we must abide in the words of Jesus. Abiding in Christ is a personal relationship. Abiding in the body of Christ is that fellowship that we have with one another. But we all also must abide in his words. And the same on him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And the word abide means to take up a permanent abode. If we take up a permanent abode in the teachings of Jesus, if that's the place where Jesus 
if that's the place where we live and the place where we intend to settle down and stay, then we are truly his disciples. You know, Jesus himself said that. Whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will like it to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And when the rains descended, the floods came and the winds blew and blew against that house and stood because it was founded on rock, my sayings. Well, what are his sayings? Well, Bartman said some of them this morning. We're going to run just a few from Matthew 5. We call it the Beatitudes when Jesus went up on the mountain. A great multitude of people were following him. Called his disciples to him and seated, and he began teaching them. And the very first thing he said is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the very first thing he said is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. And I believe that to be poor in spirit is simply the recognition that we are morally and spiritually bankrupt without God in our lives. We're nothing without God. Life is just a flat out sham without Jesus Christ, and everything about life is empty and meaningless without Christ. And so, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Poor in spirit. Well, I believe that it means to be poor in ego. We know of people who are rich in ego and we don't like them. Because they're proud and haughty and arrogant and conceited. And they focus only on themselves. And they are eat and they are eaten up with themselves and their own importance and their own self-centeredness. And all the while God is telling us. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that you might be exalted in due time. And Paul said, mighty hand of God that you might be exalted in due time. And Paul said, let us not be conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 26. Paul said, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Romans chapter 5. For they shall be coming. You're in a world that's pleasure, mad, and always seeking party life and all the rest. There are very few people who concern themselves with the pain and heartaches of others. With the pain and heartaches of others. You can't be a disciple if that's your attitude of life. Jesus said, blessed are they who mourn. And that means that we are to lament and groan and mourn over our losses, not only over our losses, but the losses of others, whether it's a spiritual loss or physical loss, whether it's sickness and disease, whether it's struggle with some sin in our life. We don't care about people, put our arms around them and be merciful to them. Rather than be merciful to them. And we're to weep with them. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Romans 12 15. There are many lonely and broken hearted people, Lord. We know that. But there's also many selfish people in the world. 
I need help. They just need someone to set their arm around them and be merciful to them and to help them in their struggle. That's the way Jesus is. That's why he came here. He said that himself in the 418. <coughs> Baptized. The Spirit of God came upon him. Led into the wilderness, was tempted. After that, he went back to his hometown in Nazareth, went into the synagogue, picked up the scriptures, and they began reading from Isaiah 61 and verse 1. Isaiah 61, 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to preach the good news to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To release those captive. And to, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And when we read that verse, we ought to understand that salvation involves more than simply being saved from our sin and death and having a relationship with God. Salvation is much greater than that. According to Jesus, what he said is rooted deeply in the Exodus of the Old Testament Scriptures. When God's people were under bondage, they were being mistreated, they were brokenhearted, they were in poverty. I'm talking about physically. And they cried out for help and mercy. And God raised up Moses and delivered them. Delivered them from what? Delivered them from their poverty. Delivered them from being brokenhearted. Delivered them from being oppressed. That's salvation. And therefore it's being saved from anything and everything that would hinder the flourishing of human life right here on this earth. Jesus came to us. He did it while he was here on earth. He brought people's sicknesses and sorrows and their disease. Sicknesses and sorrows and their disease. And you and I are to be able to do the same thing. And in the meantime, we'll do what we can to help people who are in poverty and brokenhearted. But you see where all of this is headed, the day is coming. When life here when life here on this earth will flourish without sin. And that's why you find back to even speech in the Bible. And we will be saved from the oppressive governments, the evil temporary. We'll be saved from all of that. And only God's people will be here. And so we're to be agents in carrying out that same mission that Jesus talked about. We're to mourn with those who mourn. And we're to care about the poor and the brokenhearted, the oppressed. Because you, no man is an island to himself. We're members of a large human family. And we are to care about the needs of others. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. If we had been in that audience, you know what many of us would have done? We'd have leaned over the next person. What did he say? What did he say? 
What did he say? He said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, that's going to be quite an inheritance. I don't want to miss out on that. Well, Jesus said you're going to have to be meek because only the meek will inherit the earth. I believe that meekness is one of the attitudes of peace and unity. We won't take the time to elaborate on what Jesus said about being blessed as a peacemaker. Later on, he just says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. Not peace lovers, not peace wishers, peacemakers. Paul tells us how to make peace and get along with one another in Ephesians 41. When he said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of your meekness and long suffering. For very one of your love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit with longer peace. And so, what does Paul say in this verse? He says, Manward, you must be lowly of Godward, you must manward, you must be lowly of Godward, you must be meek. And therefore, if I want to get along with, with you, I want to be at peace with my brethren and peace with my family members. I'm going to have to learn what it means to be meek and lowly in my heart. And count others better than self. And meekness means to place ourselves under the rod of God, ready to go where He wants us to go, do what He wants us to do, and serve where He wants us to serve. Jesus had those two virtues, remember. When He said, Come unto me, all ye who do virtue, remember. When He said, Come unto me, all ye who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn to me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest into your souls. Imagine that. It was God in the flesh. Never a bad thought controlled him. Never a bad deed defiled him. Never a foul word came forth from his mouth. And yet he considered weak, sinful, ungodly people better than himself. Yes. Yes. And Calvary proves it. Calvary proves it. And that's the way to peace and unity. It's always been a cross, never a crown. A crown's never been the way to peace and unity. It's always been a cross. Been a cross. And that's why Jesus said, Take up your cross daily and follow after me. What do you do on the cross? You die. And you have to die of sin, self, and selfishness if you want to live for Jesus. That's Luke chapter 9, 23. Philippians 2, 1 through 5, Paul 2, 1 through 5, Paul said there was going to be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any bowels of mercy, any fellowship of spirit, fulfilling my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love for one another, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem himself, and let this mind be you, which was also in Christ. So you see, this is not something I made up today. It's the mind of Jesus. And we know that. How many of you watch the series?
if you haven't, please do yourself a favor if you want. It's a series about the life of Jesus and the calling of his disciples. It will just touch your heart. It'll change you. It's changed thousands of people already because it's so well because it's so well organized and close to the Bible. Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Verse 7. You know, that's one of the things that Jesus can give the Pharisees for, and that is they didn't have much mercy. They did not they did not show them mercy. And not only did they not show love and mercy, they complained about others who did it. Jesus went home with Matthew, had a meal with Matthew and other sinners and tax collectors. The Pharisees were Jesus eating with them and complained about it. Why does your teacher eat with sinners? And Jesus turned to them and said, You need to go learn what this means. That I desire mercy. Not so. That I desire mercy. Not sacrifice. Healing begins with an extension of mercy. And Jesus told the Pharisees, You have forsaken the way your matters of law and faith. And Jesus says to you and to me that your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. You cannot end the kingdom of heaven. And let me just inject this. The kingdom of heaven doesn't mean we're going to go someplace. When the, when the Jew in the first century heard that, the last thing they would think of is going off somewhere. No, they would think about the reign of God. The kingdom of God would, and the kingdom of heaven's reign of God. The kingdom of God would, and the kingdom of heaven's one and the same thing. It's the reign of God here on this earth. That's why Jesus prayed in this way. Here, he said this. Pray this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is talking about the kingdom under heaven's rule. It's a radical move, this kingdom of God business. It's God's kingdom made up of his image bearing disciples here on this earth. And if you want to be a part of that, a part of that, Says you're going to have to do better than Pharisees do. So, blessed are the pure in heart. We just keep doing something to bless your heart. I smell something. Blessed are the pure in heart. Unmixed without alcohol. Or they are so bad. We have to see sin for what it is, and that is a dead end monster. There's a humanistic cult in our nation today, cult in our nation today, destroying many people because they are obliterating the difference between right and wrong, the difference between good and evil, and the difference between that which is pure and that which is unpure. They're saying, go look inside yourself and you'll find out what's right for you. And that's
That's just a bunch of garbage. That's all that is. And you'll never find out what is right or wrong by looking at yourself. Because the heart is deceitful. The Bible says exceedingly wicked above all things. And we're just going to have to accept the testimony wicked above all things. And we're just going to have to accept the testimony of the Word of God that all have sinned and failed and fallen short of the glory of God. The more we look inward, the more confused we're going to be. We need to be Jesus. And when somebody says you've just got to accept yourself the way you are, there's no sense to that. I cannot be saying I'm okay and you're okay if we're under a sense of self-condemnation. Go back to Matthew 5 if you are on the other side. And read the words of Jesus. And he's not being harsh. He's a loving Lord and Savior. He's the one who said, I'm ashamed to call you my brother. Impenitent. I don't need God. That's a different matter. But let me tell you this when you're really struggling and you're having a hard time, and you don't always win, you don't always win the struggle. Picture Jesus. You don't always win the struggle. Picture Jesus slipping his arm around you, embracing you, and saying, I'm ashamed. To call you my brother. That's our Lord. Aren't you grateful to be a part of God's family? And aren't you grateful to have Christian brothers and sisters? And aren't you grateful to have your immediate family with you here today with whom you can share the joys, the joys, Life struggles and life's disappointments. We need those protective walls of family life. And let us protect those relationships.